Welcome to episode 869 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 869 of I Am Talk of Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Owls. Got a sharp haircut, mate. Oh, yeah, bit of a, I won't tell a story about that, but yeah, we tried somewhere different, you know, when you go somewhere different, I'll give it a go. You're not happy. Oh, I think well, it looks good. Yeah, okay. What, what are you we'll not happy how, about? We'll see how it grows out. What, what's the the, the experience wasn't great, uh, and I don't really care about the experience, but this was just like a little bit too low. Yeah. I once said that with a dentist. Mm. The guy had no personality at all. Mm. Like, I said, hi. He like he mumbled. I got four words in one one appointment. It was like he waved me to the chair, and then he said, uh, "Maybe it was a couple more than four, I said, "What can we do?" And I explained it, and then he just went away. I, and I sort of said, "During during how long have you guys been here? Four yeah. months." Was that where was it? Where was it? <laughs> I'm not gonna name. Was it the one on the corner? Uh, Down the bottom of the hill. Yeah. What was it? There <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you go. Uh, but if it looks good, Bevan. Hey. You don't look good, mate. You're a supermodel. Um, Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by our awesome patrons. And let's say, uh, you go first, John. Aaron Tauntaun Nelson. We've got Matt It's Too Hard Evans. And Grant the Spy Petrie. I can't really remember the story behind It's Too Hard, but <laughs> it could be suspicious. Uh, in this week's show, we've got news, we've got a hot topic of the week, we've got an interview. We're talking to Chris Leiferman, who we had on the show before, but he's one of the top-ranked American athletes and uh, looking to kick some ass this season. Uh, fourth, fourth, at, uh, fourth at World Champs last year when they had it at St. George. Okay, so we've got Coach's Corner Wing of the Week and questions and answers. No real news. The news is there is no news this week in terms of the Iron Distance world. Uh, the Strongman race is coming up in Japan this weekend, which probably it's most of you guys have been around forever. 37th edition. It's a 3K swim, a 123K bike and a 30K run. I remember Cam Brown when did it a couple of years ago. If you ever get a chance to go to race in Japan, it's a cool experience. Often their races are on little islands off the mainland just because of, uh, you know, population's too dense, um, you know, around Tokyo and places like that. Uh, there's some cool races. Haven't done this one, but it's a long-standing race, and I'm sure it's wicked. Um, That's this week's long-distance news. The question is, what is the longest outside of Kona IMM race? New Zealand must be up there. Uh, I'm pretty sure New Zealand is. It's always been New Zealand. Canada's not anymore because yeah. they kind of had that intermission, although they did move to Whistler, so I suppose you could say. But but I suppose New Zealand's moved as well, so you could yeah. say the same thing there. Um, but the, yeah, the, New Zealand was before Australia, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, and Australia's moved as well, so kind of depends what you and define. They don't really have an Ironman Australia anymore, do they? Um, Port Macquarie's called Ironman Australia. Oh, but, is it? But when you've got multiple races... Doesn't really yeah, cut the mustard. Um, what would be the next oldest outside of that? Japan originally. Uh, yeah, but Japan stopped yeah. as well. So that is a good question. Maybe we should have that as a question of the week okay, we will. next time uh, because I don't know the answer. Okay, let's look at John's short course update. We had the arena gains. I watched the highlight package. Uh, one thing I didn't like, nothing of the racing. I can kind of understand why they have a championship race at the end of the, champ- the World Series mm. Triathlon now. Because Schumann obviously won the overall series. Yes. Now, in the last race, was there a chance he could have taken out that guy? Or was he being conservative? Uh, he was, I think he was going as hard as he could. He wasn't having a great day. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, they had a three-race series. So, there was one in Switzerland. There was one in, was it Munich? 
and then there was this finale in, in London. I'm not actually exactly sure how the points system worked, but they had other Jim. athletes like in the, in this particular race where athletes said that we're not going to be contenders for the series because it was the only race that they'd done. So it was kind of a race within a race. I actually watched it live, the, the boys' race, because I was up and I was on the bike. You asked me last week what I watched it. I was like, eh, probably not. But if I'm on the trainer, I would. Yep. And I watched the whole thing. It was actually pretty good because there was some good racing. Um, and we had a Kiwi vested interest because we had a Kiwi in the... And he got third, didn't he? It was very good racing. If you haven't watched it, pause now, go and watch it and come back. But uh, so the race for first, the fellow who won Strata, he... He's, his nickname is going to be Poker Face. He did not look like he was working. Yeah, I saw that. And <laughs> if anything, I, I thought he was cruising. Oh, yeah, I, I imagine he was killing it, but he just smoked it. He was awesome all day. And Schumann just sort of battled through. But the, the race for third was fantastic. And it came down to a sprint finish. And that was one my one criticism. I thought they've really started to nail the the presentation, like that often have like four athletes on the on the screen at one time. Then they had the little Zwift um, sort of... Avatar. In, in the middle of the page. So you could see facial expressions plus what was going on. But they didn't. The, the race of first and second was over in the final event, or towards the end. But the race for third, there was like a couple of seconds covering them, and Kyle Smith dropped back to fifth, I think, at one oh, stage, wow. and then he put in a sprint finish in the last four hundred on a treadmill, and they weren't showing it. Uh. I was like, and he, and he and he just managed to get it, which was awesome, and that's why I was uh, interested in it. Um, well, yeah, of, by one second. Yeah, a couple of interesting um, points were uh, Gustav Eden managed to score himself a penalty before the races even started. He got so fo- go, the shoe and not in the box. Well, no, that was penalty number two. Penalty number one. In the qualifying round, he got penalised five seconds um, because he didn't attend a race briefing because his flight oh. got delayed or cancelled or something like that. Oh, you come on. Well, no, you should be there earlier. You yeah, should, but, yeah, if you're leaving it to the last minute, you oh. should be there earlier. And, that, that, and that's just a, a world triathlon rule, so that's a world triathlon event. You, you got a penalty. Um, he still managed to get into the final, and then in the final, both him and Kyle Smith got a penalty for shoes. Now, the, the final is... So the final is just one race? No, so it's a series of three. Oh, okay. So you have a swim, bike, run, and then you have a run, bike, swim, I think it is. Yeah. And then the final race is uh, a pursuit start based off those first yeah, two races. Yeah. So I, th- I think the format, I can't think of any way of doing it better. Um, Did the crowd look like they were into it? Yeah, they sound like it. It yep. was sold out. There was a couple of thousand people there. Um, what sort of a, I don't know what it's like to be sitting there watching it, um, but yeah, they had a good good crowd. And the other interesting point was Chase McQueen, who was Lightning's apparently, brother. sorry, Lightning's, Lightning's brother. brother, yeah, apparently is quite a character. He was in the running for winning the series. Okay. And uh, he just had an absolute shocker in the first race and was out the back door. In the second race, it was either the second or the third, he ended up doing the swim leg butterfly just because oh, he really? was so far out the back door. It was like, what's the point? Last. Uh, so that was pretty impressive to do it. I, th- I assume he did the 200, it was 200 metres, 200 fly. Uh, was pretty impressive. Uh, anyway, um, Strata took out the boys' race. I haven't actually watched the girls' race. That's why I haven't um, commented on that. But I know that um, Potter won it in front of Cassandra Bolgrand. And then similar story, like they were streets ahead. But then Sophie Lynn, who had done the other races, uh, she ended up winning the series. So you are a world champion. So, so congratulations. You, do you enjoy it enough? To go next time I'll try to watch it live? Um, only if I had a Kiwi interest in there. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that would be the only thing. But there's lots of sports like that. Like I wouldn't watch rugby league or a lot of sports. Mm. If it's like, 
I've got nothing else to do. I'll, or I'm yeah. on a train it. I'll yeah. go and watch it. So yeah, but triathlons, your love. Yeah, it's a bit but um, definitely watch the highlights like you did. Yeah, and yeah, it's not my favourite format, but does the Avatar work? What do you mean? Does the Avatar work? Um, the the Swift does it keep it exciting? Um, not really. No, you need the facial expressions. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just watching the Zwift screen is not very interesting. Yeah. So no, it was uh, it was good stuff. Um, we got to go off and do. I don't. We're not going to have time to do hot topics so much. Have to pause. Oh, I think we have got nine minutes. Oh. <coughs> I've got a bit of bit of discussion here. Well, let's see how we go. We can pause as we go. So let's go. Hot topic of the week was: Do we think that if you had a rest of the world versus Europe in the Collins Cup? Would it be a more competitive race? Now, we didn't actually get much interest in this question, which is interesting. So, um, George Samuel's got Great Britain women could still just about smash the rest of the world. Europe is still too strong. And then I'll start from the bottom. John Weir, maybe. Uh, Pedro Acha says, no, Europe versus UK might be close. Uh, no chance, Simon Mills says. The US only adds Sidaro for the women and maybe Knut and West in, uh, at the moment for the men who are... Oh, they're great, but you're all great, but Euro would still comfortably win. Uh, Clive Lass, Asplin, not unless you made the UK part of the rest of the world. And Mick uh, Simpson replies, can you only do that uh, if you move Britain physically south in line with the Canary Islands will do me. Uh, and then one other one, Jordan Blanco said, not yet, but they have, have they don't have the format right yet anyway. And that's the question. When are we going to hear about the format? But okay, what's your theory? Well, au contraire. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people are negative Nancy's here, saying this won't. Uh, well, we actually didn't get much interest in it. No. Yeah. But when I actually did the, the, if you do the lineups purely based off the current rankings, it's actually could be pretty close. Potentially quite close. So on the boys' side, um, you, and this is just going. So on one the format we've currently done. Yeah. You go, and, and this is if you put number one. Versus Europe one. versus number one, rest of the world. So you have Bloomin versus Bloomfelt versus Sanders. So you go Bloomfelt. Next one you're having Eden versus Long. Eden. You're going Eden. Next one you're going Ditlev versus Newman. You're probably going Ditlev, but Newman is bloody good at iron distance and probably hasn't quite shown his talent at short course. So you normally. But what about seventy point three? You'd, you'd probably go towards Ditlev. Okay. Um, next one though, uh, Laidlow versus Royal. Um, now we all go Sam Laidlow annihilated at Kona last year and was awesome. But when you actually look at uh, pro triathletes rankings, um, which just take the top three, or you, you do top three scoring events, then um, Aaron Royal has the edge because you can sort of go, you can do head-to-heads, uh, which is really, really cool. So if I go head-to-head, Aaron Royal versus, um, uh, the difference here is Aaron Royal only does short course. Yeah. Um, what am I doing here? Aaron Royal Laidlow. versus Laidlow. Laidlow. So Sam Laidlow versus Aaron Royal. So the three races they compare there is the US Open, the Collins Cup, and the Canadian Open. And Aaron Royal uh, has beaten him two out of three. So he beat him in the US Open only by a minute. Uh, beat him in the got beaten in the Collins Cup. Uh, no, he won, he won in the Collins Cup. Uh, and he won again in the Canadian Open. So sorry, Sam Laidlow beat him in the US Open. So two, two, two versus one. Uh, so that could be a really interesting matchup. Uh, next up is number five at ranked athletes is Chevalier versus Cartier. Um, Colin Cartier on his day 
is awesome. We saw him win the bloody US Open. So, uh, and Leon Chevalier is a weaker swimmer. Uh, so that could be a really interesting matchup. And then the final matchup would be uh, Angert versus Ben Canute. And you'd say, I'd probably slightly lean towards Canute, but again, a good matchup. So you're probably saying on the boys' side, you've got th- probably three wins for Europe. Two, pr- two definite, one probable, and three 50-50. Now, the top six you've picked from the world are just the top six based on the rankings? Yeah, so you might have some, you, yeah. you know, you'd, 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 you'd have the four and then you have your two randoms. Yep. Um, but, you know, that's just based off the rankings at the moment. Okay. And the females? Female side, I reckon every race is pretty much 50-50. Uh, so first up, you'd have Lucy Charles versus Ashley Gentle. In a normal race, I'd be putting all my money on Ashley Gentle. In a pure one-against-one one race, I'd potentially be going towards Lucy Charles. It might be, a bit, but I think it'd be really close. Ashley Gentle is so fast on the run, and she's the number one ranked athlete in the world. So that would be uh, a great race. Daniela Reef and Laura um, Paula Finlay. Both of those athletes are yo-yo athletes at the moment. You never know what you're going to get. Um, yep. Some days Reef would annihilate Finlay. Uh, if Reef's not on, Finlay will annihilate her. So that'll be a 50-50 one, as is the next one. Anne Haug versus um, Chelsea Sedaro. Probably put my money on Anne Haug. Um, but, yeah, probably be a pretty close one. Next one, Laura Phillip versus Flora Duffy. If Flora Duffy was on, um, she could easily win that over you know the shorter distance. Next one um, would be Lawrence versus Monch. So Sky Monch versus Holly Lawrence. Probably go towards Holly Lawrence. And then the last one would be Emma Pallant versus Tamara Jewett. And based off Oceanside form, you would definitely go Tamara Jewett. So I would say female side, every race is pretty much 50-50. So you'd still say advantage Europe overall. but It's a much closer race. I think it would be pretty mouthwatering. It's enough to go... I'm watching every race here because there's not any that are going to be blowouts if they all lined up like this. If you ended up putting, you know, um, I don't know. I think that whatever happens, that'd be good good matchups. It's a much closer betting odds. Mm. Yeah, you'd probably still put your money on Europe. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, would. But um, it, it's a bit more interesting. So the real question, I know you've already done next this week, this week's discussion, but why don't we do the um, what's the better way to do the Collins Cup? Have we not done that no, before? No, I don't think we have. Okay. So if we were to do, if you were to, if you were to get to be the director of rates of Collins Cup, what's the objective? To make it more interesting, isn't it? Mm. To at least get every bloody triathlete wanting to watch it. You yeah, know, oh, we want to be like the US Open golf and shit. It's like, yeah, we're a little way off. Well, one on one racing get, doesn't work. Let's just get everybody wanting to watch it. One on one and one on two racing, you know, small pod racing doesn't work mm. in long course. You know, so what's a better format? Assuming we use the same amount of athletes? Roughly, yeah. Okay. So assuming we use the same amount of athletes, what's a better way where we could make and you don't have to you don't have to stick to anything we've done to so it doesn't have to be Euro based, it doesn't have to be, you know, just any way you want to put a Collins Cup race, which is the pinnacle of the PTO event calendar, what would be the best way to put together a race that is interesting, exciting and he uses the top athletes as the key event within the, in the PTO year. Sweet ass. Okay. Uh, see, that worked out perfectly. We've got two minutes, John. Killed it. Here we go. We're back in a second. And we are back. And so we've got a quiz question for this week. We have indeed. Uh, so we've just been off doing our interview, which is coming up next. But today's question is, when was the first Xterra World Championship? So in, held in Hawaii? In Maui, yeah. That was the first World 
I'm assuming so. Well, let's say the first one held in Maui. <laughs> yeah, I'm almost positive the first one was uh, held in Maui. Exeterra hasn't really become a big thing, has it? It has not. And there was, was a moment there it looked like it was going to. Yeah, I was discussing with my kids last night. My son Thomas went out for a mountain bike ride and he said, oh, Dad, you should put a race on this place called Horsell Quarry. You can't swim there. It'd be a duathlon. I said, well... Yep. I've tried doing an off-road duathlon before and it's not very popular because there's not that many triathletes that mountain bike or at least want to do a race. And that's your market, yeah. is triathletes. So you're going, it's not that big a market anyway, especially in New Zealand. And then you've got to narrow it down even more. So we we have a couple of exterior races in New Zealand. The only way, well, I haven't actually been to either of them, but the way they survive is they have so many other different events going on in terms of um, mountain bike event tacked onto it, running event tacked onto yeah. it, and that's the only way they And then you had the, um, the Mototepu Marathon, which is a big mountain bike and running race, mm-hmm. and they had an exterior for that for a few years, and that's even gone, isn't it? Uh, yes, it has, yep. yeah. But hey, that, that's just looking at a, a New Zealand, elsewhere in the world it might be a bit different. But it's yeah, but it's a brand, you know, because for a while it looked like they were going to do the, the Ironman thing where they've got lots of races mm. around the world. and Mountain bike's hard, hard work. And, and finding a suitable course next to somewhere you can swim is even harder. Uh, Have so, you ever done one? No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind doing one. Although that being said, I don't really enjoy racing on a mountain bike that much. I quite enjoy doing uh, well, the one that Thomas and I did up in uh, Nelson, where it's uh, flat, you know, yeah. winding, and, and you can kind sort of roadie kind of crank it, but. Racing downhill and does not do it for me. <laughs> oh, just a risk. Okay, so when was the first extra world championships ever held in Maui in Hawaii? Okay, we've got an interview coming up, John Boone. We have uh, Chris Leiferman. And prior to doing this interview, as you guys will hear, I just uh, was sort of looking through going, oh, I wouldn't mind having a chat to him. You know, he had a fantastic race in uh, St. George last year. And as you're going to hear, there's a little bit more to the current story of Chris Leiferman. Here it is right now. Righto team, um, we've got Chris Leiferman on the show today, uh, one of the top ranked American athletes, finished fourth at the Ironman World Championships, well 2021, <clears throat> but it was held last year, um, had lots of other Ironman wins around the world, uh, and yeah, just keen to get an update from Chris, so welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, um, as part of my preparation, I thought we're not going to your Instagram account to see what, see what you've been up to. And, you know, of course, we've got some pictures of you, your training and doing all that sort of stuff. And then there was one of you in hospital. I was like, what the hell is going on there? And then the next one was of you running. So what's been going on? <laughs> well, the one in the hospital was is, was real, current, and um, still an issue. Yeah, and then the one of me running is just trying to, keep myself positive too throwing back something from from last year just so i can keep my head in the game but it's been uh quite the roller coaster since this all popped up i have um a narrow narrow ureter uh just below the kidney and it is obstructing flow and um it's just it's not draining draining the kidney and basically every time i drink um it doesn't um, drain out and it swells up the kidney okay. so really? yeah it's called a upj obstruction um so yeah it's something that i'm still dealing with i'm going in tomorrow to get a a separate scan where they put a nucleotide in my veins and now they put me under x-rays and they can see the flow of fluids through the body and see it go from the kidney to the bladder and do you know um, the cause 
it's it's congenital. No, oh, it's good. They have no idea. And the, I was talking to the surgeon, um, which I might have to have surgery if this scan tomorrow doesn't come out um, the way I want it to come out. Um, then you're going to have to go under the knife, which isn't fun. But he was saying that he just dealt with this. Some 76-year-old lady had the same thing. She lived with it her entire life. And then all of a sudden at 76, she had symptoms of a kidney stone, went in, no stones were found, but they found that she had a narrow ureter. So it's, it's, it's a very um, unknown issue on why it happens or how it happens and um, when when does it show its face is quite the mystery um for, for non-americans how the, how does your system work over there for healthcare? because i imagine for athletes you guys must have to pay an absolute fortune to get health care yeah that's a good point yeah it's um yeah the american system is not fun and um, i wish that we could have universal health care but uh that's another topic um <laughs> but it's yeah so we're paying in a premium we have we have insurance um my wife, we're, we're both self-employed. My wife owns her own real estate firm and we have a kid and she's currently pregnant and me as an athlete, I'm just pretty, I'm hard to insure. Uh, and so our premium is, is pretty high. So we pay monthly and um, even then we're still paying out of pocket. Nothing's, nothing's totally covered. So yeah. a lot of this has been racked up. I spent two nights in the hospital I've gone to the ER twice. I've had one procedure, um, and that's all been since March 21st. Jeez. So, um, yeah, and trying to, you, you know, have peace of mind, it's it's hard. You know, I'm just making phone calls trying to set up appointments. I can't can't just call a doctor and talk talk things over, or you know, what's the game plan? I'm basically at my own um i'm being my own doctor diagnosing and seeing okay what's the next step what's the next step there's really yeah. no one being like okay we need to we need to get on this because the doctors are just wanting to you know go to deal with the next patient one of the urologists that i saw he had 34 patients that he saw that day wow hey, i was just it was just a factory yeah and you know so caring about me individually is just not high of mind for him. Whereas for me, this is just like the biggest thing ever. And um, I'm wanting to find solutions as soon as possible because that's just going to be one extra day closer to recovery. Um, and you know, time is um, not really money. on my side. Yeah. Time is money. And I just want to get this over with and, get answers and get, get sorted. How do you deal with this? Obviously there's a practical kind of process you're trying to work through, but emotionally as well. Oh yeah, dude. It's uh, been an emotional roller coaster. It's been, you know, especially I think this day and age with triathlon, the, the, the game has, the, the bar has just been set so high in the last two years. Mm. And you know, you really just want to be on. You can't really, you can't be down at all at any point. And, um, and in this sport, you're only as good as your last race. And it's, um, and then when, when you're out and you can't really prove anything, you really, 
yeah, it's really hard to um, get back on top mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and living here in Boulder too, you know, you're surrounded by a bunch of fit people and you got people racing, training, doing well, and you're kind of just hung up. I can get one, I can get one good workout in the morning um, right now. And then um, all of a sudden my kidney flares up and around noon and then I'm pretty much SOL for the rest of the day. Mm. Well, prior, prior to this happening on sort of around March 21st, I know you were, I think you were entered for Oceanside 70.3. Were things sort of tracking okay in terms of your off-season training? Yeah, yeah, everything was going really well. Um, numbers, the best best early season numbers that I've had my entire career. Mm. Um, had a good camp in Lanzarote. The team getting there was, was fun. Um, it's been a rough winter here in Colorado, but uh, everything was you know, mentally it was just, it was just great. I was enjoying training and, um, Oceanside was just, um, a tune up for Texas and, you know, you still go and race hard and, but it's a bummer to be able to have to miss both of those. Hmm. So last season looked like it was a bit of a up and down season. You know, it's, uh, you seem to like the number four quite a lot in your results, uh, both in 2022 and 2021. There's lots of fours. You got fourth at St. George, you got 44th in Kona and 14th in the Collins Cup. So if we start with St. George, maybe talk us through your day. And one other thing I'm keen to hear about is you, you kind of mentioned, and a lot of people are mentioning this, that the young guard are kind of, coming through and the bar's really been lifted. Um, but both yourself and Braden Curry, who are a similar sort of vintage, still seem to do well there. So maybe sort of talk us through St. George and um, whether or not, you know, old, slightly older athletes like yourself and Braden can still uh, mix it with the young fellas. Yeah, definitely holding on to that result. I mean, that was not even a year ago. And um, especially in the long course races, but it's, it just, Everything I was I was sick before I had to bail out of Oceanside last year too, and um, because I was sick and just focused on staying healthy for uh, early May at St George, and when when bigger races kind of do better for me, uh, just because it's you can kind of hide a little bit. You know, you have so many people. The groups and the swim are are pretty big when you're coming out you're not you're not by yourself or you're not necessarily leading um the second pack or it's there's always always people to work with when it comes to a a a big event like that and those tend to work to my advantage and just because there's so many people just trying to trying to prove that they're better like they're they're trying to win the race in the first first four hours and Um, I think being being someone who's experienced those events and has been around a little bit longer, you just kind of sit back and watch watch it all unfold, and then take advantage towards the end. But that that run course, I think, really suited me. I'm definitely a stronger runner, and um, it is that is yeah, just very set up for my style of racing and. Um, it was definitely hot. It was dry, and the elevation races. I proved myself here in Boulder uh, racing. And when we, I think, the bit of altitude that St. George has, it isn't extreme, but it is higher than sea level. And I think there was a bit of um, suffering for some of the people. And for me, is that I, I excel as the elevations get higher. So 
that that course all around uh, suited me really well. And um, yeah, it'd be nice to go back there again and and race. But it's um, yeah, I think Nice would have been a similar type of vibe, and or will be a similar type of vibe. So it's kind of looking forward to hopefully getting a chance to tow that line and race there. Have you qualified to Nice? Did you get that because no, last not, year? No, not yet. No. Okay. So um, moving on from Sir George, you know, you went over to the Collins Cup. Um, I'm pretty sure it was your first experience. I'm not sure if you went the prior year, but sort of talk us through what it was like because we hear lots of different things from other athletes saying the experience is cool. Obviously, the Europeans ended up dominating, but but what did you make of the whole experience? Yeah, it was. I mean, it the the venue wasn't anything to write home about, but it just it's just kind of cool to be part of something that other sports have. And I think that's kind of the first time that this, the Collins cup is being able to showcase triathlon on that, on that level. But at that same token, that is something that I have never experienced before. You know, when you go into any race, um, you're, you're just kind of going through the motions, doing your own thing. You don't have people, people around you you just you can really stay under the radar even at even at Kona or St. George it's, um, you're still just kind of doing your own thing but at Collins Cup you're just surrounded and um, I think that was a shock to me and just something that I've never really experienced and the the what the head-to-head racing I've is just tough for me it's just not doesn't suit um, more of a group group type of racer being able to um, match other people's moves and uh, work off of them and or work off of groups, not necessarily going off by myself. And I got and I got pinned against two uh, front lead pack swimmers, and that just from from the get go, I was like, gosh, shit, um, that was just a rough day. But and I um my bike was broken. I only had one ride on my bike the entire week, and that was the day before the race, and it yeah it was just kind of a a rough overall um experience but i think having it at the end of the year is going to be better for everyone um i think a lot of people it's just kind of bad timing for when it was last year and i did a after saint saint george went to europe for six weeks and caught covid and uh, had just had a had a rough middle of the year, and then had to fly back over to Europe again for a college cup, and it just it was a lot a lot of travel and took a toll on me. You know, the, it's pretty hard going to a race where the Europeans are so dominant. Was was it kind of accepted that it was just going to be a bit of a one horse race from the other, you know from the American team and the international team, or did you just what was the approach going into it? As as the competitor, if you know what I mean. Um, in my as as the overall as Americans versus the rest, yeah, or just me versus probably both. Actually, how did the American team approach it, and how did you approach it? I mean, we we're all positive, but we also had to kind of psych ourselves up. I, I think on pa- on paper, it was definitely European dominance, and but we had to kind of get everyone motivated and get your head squared away and 
really focus on the reason that you are there in the first place. And I think that's something to uh, keep yourself motivated and still trying to work hard. And you have other people hedging on you and you have the people around there cheering for you. So it's, um, you know, we, I think it was, it was tough, but we were trying to, yeah, psych each other up and hope for the best. Mm. Um, moving on to sort of the, the back half of the season, um, and you finished thir- 13th, uh, lucky for some, at the PTO Open. And some people might go, oh, 13th, it's pretty, you know, a little bit average, but in that field, it's actually, um, you know, not not horrendous you certainly beat some some good athletes there then you moved on to to Kona and I've uh, obviously Kona didn't didn't go to plan I guess my first question with Kona is well, why do you why do you keep on going to the finish when you you know you're out of the money and uh and you could probably kick on and, and go and do another race so what's what's the sort of motivation to actually um get to the finish line yeah I have no idea <laughs> um once I when I I mean, I was, I wasn't digesting anything, um, and ended up being, ended up having this like stomach virus bug for, for the week after Kona. And so must've caught something. And even I, as soon as I got off the bike, even I was, it was just like, why, why, what should I do? And I'm kind of looking around for my wife and I, and I, I knew that she's gonna be like, well, carry on. And, <laughs> and I, I didn't, I didn't see her. So I was like, ah, shit, well, I better keep on going. And <laughs> so then I w- wanted to do um, Alihi and then come back and then make a decision then. And, and then I saw her and she's like, well, what are you going to do? And um, I'm like, well, maybe I should I keep on going. I don't know. It's kind of a long <laughs> way. And I just like, I don't know. I maybe just the respect of of the race. Uh, I don't know. I just felt it, it's just such an easy out for us pros to yeah to to quit and move on to the next one and say that you're out of the money, say that this and that, and um, but every age grouper is or not every but the majority of age groupers are literally there just to finish an Ironman yeah um and that's kind of what was running through my head is and and I hear it too I I hear it from a lot of age groupers and they say like oh that was crap that this person just pulled out when it wasn't just perfect for them you know like and it's like oh they're so weak they're so mentally weak and and I just didn't want that to be said about me. And is more out of the respect for the age groupers racing racing who just simply want to finish. And that's their lifetime dream is to just finish Ona Ironman, yeah. um, no matter what the time is. And um, so that's what kept me going and even though i suffered every bit no matter what i took in nothing was getting absorbed um uh, it's just it was a suffer fest but Mm. maybe um maybe that will help me out mentally even on on the best of days Mm. in the future so i'm kind of hoping that that would be the case yeah, certainly a slippery slope when you start pulling out of races. Uh, then it might be, oh, I pull out of a training session because it's not going perfectly. So, yeah, totally hear what you're saying. Um, 
Okay. So just in terms of the whole COVID period, you know, how did you sort of cope with that? You know, it looked like 2019 was, um, you know, he had a really good Kona there or 10th place there. You won Boulder 70.3, which is obviously awesome. Didn't look like there was much other racing in 2019. So I assume there may have been some injury issues there, but then, you know, boom into 2020 and we've, we've had COVID. So how did you kind of cope getting through that, that COVID period? Oh, I, Built a shed, built a chicken coop, <laughs> um, did some remodeling, but also trained and uh, ended up ended up winning two races. One yeah. Ironman Florida later that year, one um, another race in Florida. And, um, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it was actually kind of nice. Um, we had a kid that year too. Yeah. So there's just a lot that went on, and being able to be home and not have any obligation to travel was just kind of refreshing um and just know like well this is it i'm just i'm home so for the unforeseeable future and uh that's both both for my wife and me and um it was yeah it was just good kind of nice and um yeah go ahead Uh, i was just gonna say um it must have been kind of helpful during that period to be part of like the BMC team. And, and obviously I'm, I'm assuming you got, you know, some support from them through that period. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Every, every year has been great to be having the support of the team. And especially they, we, we, we took a hit the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the industry did, but it's having them. Yeah. With full support was, it was great. And, being able to still train without that that stress of income yeah. is uh, definitely a benefit for myself. And and I know with the the, the BMC team because we've been to the um to the Kona luncheon a couple of times and got to say they put on a fantastic spread over there. It's brilliant. We were always yeah. there with bells on. Um, but the teams, it's taken a while, but man, it's starting to shine now in terms of, you know, produce Chelsea Sodaro, Cat Matthews and, and Max Newman. So there must be um, quite a bit of satisfaction. Obviously, they when they get to that level, you know, Kona winners and stuff, you know, maybe they've, they've moved on from the team. But um, I'd imagine the whole setup's feeling pretty good about things. Absolutely. And the, the sponsors that they keep bringing in year after year are top tier sponsors. And it's they're very dedicated. Ben and Bob, the team, the, the two Dwarf uh, brothers that manage the team are just absolutely stellar. And their dedication towards our use of of the sponsor and our dedication to the sponsor and our social media commitment to the sponsor and racing and training is very dialed. And it's it looks very, uh, very appealing to a sponsor that would want to be part of that team and the way that it's all run with photography and um and again the the social media aspect of it too and being able to produce um top tier athletes on top of it is just really lucrative in the long run and it seems like it's gonna gonna continue i just don't see how it could fail right now with regards to the covid period what did you learn about yourself as an athlete that you wouldn't have learned if you didn't have the COVID period? I really love training. Um, I think before that, it was just kind of a a means to an end. Um, like you train, it's 
kind of begrudgingly get up every morning and just tick off the boxes. But being able during during COVID, I just rode my bike a lot, and it just kind of brought back the spark of why I do this in the first place. And and that and the fact that I still continued to train even though I really didn't have to at the in the early part of of COVID um because everything just got shut down so but you still just wanted to get out there and still just wanted to keep training and keep progressing and more just enjoying the fact that you're able to get out on your bike in the middle of the week on a nice day and this is your job and it just really started to get more fun um and that aspect of it really kept the kept the spark alive in me cool so um i read somewhere your favorite race was ironman cozumel i'm not sure if that still stands but uh is is cozumel still your favorite race or have you got uh, another another one you'd recommend highly to the listeners well i like cozumel just because every time i land there that place just puts a smile on my face more than more than any other tropical um destination i think I wouldn't say that it's my favorite place. It's definitely my favorite destination place right now. Um, but um, Marbella has actually been a fun place to go to. I've raced, I've raced that now twice. And that's just being able to go into the mountains right out, right outside the, off the coast is something that I've never, never been able to do before anywhere else. Um, I know there's other, other places like that, but for me, I've, Marbella in Spain has just been, it's just a really fun, fun venue and being able to tool around there after the race is definitely a, a highlight of being able to go there. Oh, I just, I was just looking at, uh, I was going to say, oh, you got to win that race, but bloody hell, you had a, looks like you had a sprint finish there with David McNamee a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I got in second there twice. Oh, but, God. Yeah. Um, looking ahead, you know, obviously right now you're dealing with some health stuff, and fingers crossed that goes away pretty quickly. But um, the year ahead, the next, you know, like the next moment in your career, what's kind of the plan and the ambition? Um, well, like I said earlier in the chat, the numbers in the spring have been better than any other spring in my career. So I definitely want to keep that in the in my back pocket and know that i am i myself am improving still and until that changes i i'm going to continue in the sport and with the support of the team and the backing of my wife it's you know i still have um a lot of support to continue on and yeah so until until those numbers change i think i'm gonna i'm gonna keep on keep on Mm, really good stuff. And as you said, it was only less than one year ago that you were fourth in the world, uh, which is awesome. So if, obviously, you know, you've got a recovery process now. Um, if people want to follow you, is Instagram the, the best way for them to do that? Yeah, it is. Yep. Awesome. Cool. Anything else that's going on that you want to get out there in terms of what the team's doing or, or anything else uh, that uh, so people can keep keep on track on what you're up to? No, no, just keep, just keep following. Um, hopefully it- I get past this kidney issue and if the worst comes comes from these uh, from this image tomorrow, um I'll 
it'll be a good second half of the season, but hopefully I can get back to it and um thinking maybe Ironman Lanzarote. If, oh nice. Come on. If I if I can um if I can carry on after tomorrow. Yeah, it's yep. a bucket list race for a lot of people, myself included. Awesome, Chris. Thanks so much for time and uh all the best for the recovery and look forward to seeing uh you kicking ass later on in the season. Uh thanks a lot, John. Do you know what's really interesting? I've never thought about the insurance factor for American athletes. Oh, I cr- cringe. Yeah, because it does seem, again, from an outsider. I think we're banging America. Last week we were banging on about the bloody guns. This week we're banging on about insurance. Sorry, Americans. Well, well, well it's hard because living, like, last year I just about died. Mm. And I was in hospital for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually said this to Joe, like, the treatment was amazing. You know, it looked after me, like, unbelievably. Walked to the hospital and I go, Joe, we paid nothing for that. Mm. You know, now people will say, well, you paid in your taxes. But mm. I think our taxes aren't that bad. Mm. You know, so, um, and you think just as an athlete in America, like I, I, I almost wanted to ask, I probably should have, sometimes I felt a bit rude asking, but what does it cost an athlete to pay for insurance in America? Mm. It wouldn't be cheap. No, not at all. You know, like. And we know athletes don't make that much money. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. So hopefully Chris gets through this very quickly. Um, interesting, isn't it? it uh, the other thing that I find interesting is, yeah, we see the young guard coming and they kicked ass last year in Kona. You know, athletes were all young. You had Laidlow, you had Ditlev, you had um, Blumenfeld, uh, and whoever else, uh, Max Newman, yep. all the young guys. But then you think nine months before, or you know, six months before that, and. Uh, St. George, you had both Braden Curry and Chris Lifeman. And, and both Sanders. Who, who's yeah, yeah. Sanders, yeah. They're all about that sort of 36 years yeah. of age. So yeah. I don't think all hope is lost. And so, but do you think that Nice makes it more... Like, if we, We've been talking a lot about Nice as it's a different course. It's a more challenging course. Um, there's bike skills. Does the older athlete have an, have an advantage in Nice? Uh, quite potentially, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, we can keep talking about Nice till we're bloody blue in the face, but we well, don't we know. Uh, but on the female side as well, you know, there's, there's not that, you know, some of the athletes here are not spring chickens uh, and doing very well. You know, you've got a couple of uh, moms in there yep, who are moms. doing extremely well. So, yes, the young athletes can come through and certainly kick ass. And I think that's one thing we've, we've said in the past, same in cycling. Oh, you've got to bide your time and build your endurance up. Yep. I think that that's a myth now. If you're young, you can come in and kick ass. But if you are older, it doesn't necessarily mean game over. At the shorter course, yes, it probably does. But at Ironman, um, you still seem to be able to do pretty well when you're in your mid to late 30s. Okay, Coach's Corner. So your rote build-up, what's happening now? So you're going to do my weekly topic of the week. And this is quite um, topical because of what Chris Leifman was saying about his Kona experience and not giving up and just kind of keeping on going, going. So today's not necessarily about a, a specific session that I did but more a, uh, an attitude you guys want to maybe perhaps take, and this is something I try to echo to the athletes that I coach. So when training goes wrong, uh, all hope is not lost because I... Did you have a bad week? No, not a bad week. Detonated on a bike ride on Saturday. So we did uh, 180 kilometres, um, more flat than hills, chucked in a, in a few hills in there, quite a bit of um, Ironman paced effort, and you know, Ironman paced effort when you're at the faster in the field you know it's certainly not pissing around and you're, and you're having to work a bit so for example yeah what well, we didn't have a massive structure it might have been like 
40 minutes relatively easy and then sort of 45 minutes or so Ironman effort um, and that was going on for about 180 k's so and I was going okay until about 150-ish k's and then the lights went out uh, and I could kind of see it coming because my legs had been pretty sore the whole session and I was quite surprised that I was actually able to get as deep into the ride as I, as I could still putting out some really good power um, but then things exploded and I Got thankfully I had two others with me: the Holy Hammer, Murray Lapworth, yep. and Nigel Beardsley. Did you, have, did you have nutrition with you? I had some nutrition with me, and uh, but they dragged my sorry ass home, and I had been at the front all the way through, but they pulled me home, and I yeah went home a little bit with my tail between my legs, but actually. As delusional as I am, um, feeling really positive about it. Okay. And this is why. So it's easy to be negative, um, but I really focus on the positive things and the things I can work on. So when I look back at that session, I'll say, look, I was feeling like rubbish, but I actually managed to muscle my way through 150K of 180K ride really well. Um, and so not all hope is lost. And the big point that I'm making about this little segment today is always trying to, or I, I always work off the, the the um the bell curve and you've got to remember that you're going to have a small percentage of sessions that are just off the charts exceptional and a small session section of uh workouts where they're just abysmal and if you look at the bell bell curve that's sort of two percent on the the very end of each side where you're just going to be off the charts one way or the other and then in the middle there you've got sort of two little blocks there that are 14 percent and that's going to be your really good sessions and you're pretty poor sessions but not absolutely horrendous and then in the middle you've got your 68% where it's lots of average sessions lots that are just a little bit below average and lots that are a little bit above average and if I think about my last little period and this is one of the things I did when I was reflecting on the the workout was thinking you know I've had a lot of average and above average sessions and this one was below average it was an actual shocker but I really got to accept that not every session is going to be fantastic and you don't want to use that as an excuse. But um, from time to time, you can have a session that doesn't necessarily go to, go to, you know, perfectly, but there's no need to throw your toys out of your cot. So if you're having a tough day, these, these are sort of the recommendations that I try to give athletes is put up a fight knowing that not every session is going to be perfect and uh, I put up a fight for, for quite a long time I did put up the white flag um, and have to just go far out I'm, I don't even know if I'll get home if I carry on with this um, making sure you get well fueled up so Bevan said was I fueled up and I on reflection didn't fuel as well as I could have when I did explode I was grabbing everything out of my bloody pocket that I could and uh, did stop for a $4 Coca-Cola $4 for a can of Coca-Cola $4? Rip my undies but um, for a can? For a can I was happy to pay that at that stage yeah, of the ride paying premium. still had half an hour to go um, so yeah having a think back to you know your fueling and then you know adjusting your expectations slightly so when I was going through this final interval you know it was going to be pretty probably about an hour long for us to get home and that was my final section of the ride and I was trying to hold Ironman power and as I was sort of going through that I was just slightly adjusting my expectations because the first maybe 15 minutes or so that went that was going okay and then I could feel the slip coming and I was just trying to fuel up trying to stay on top of it and then just adjusted those expectations slightly and that's what you kind of got to do in races as well as if if things aren't quite going perfectly you can either go throw the toys completely out of the cot but just adjusting slightly and maybe just lower those power expectations by five watts or ten watts or so and just hang in there for as long as you can um 
and in most circumstances you really need I encourage people to finish the session at least so in this case I had to get home so I didn't have an option but if you're on the trainer if this was going to happen some a lot of time the temptation is I'm just going to get off the bike I've had enough but I would generally say in most circumstances you want to at least finish out the the time of the session uh, as I said remember the bell curve um, but trying not to use it as an excuse and that was a really good point there from Chris Leifman he said you know if I'd quit this race you know lots of other it's just going to become too easy to quit so um, remember the bell curve and accept that okay this might be one of those shitty days I'm going to fight for as long as I can and uh, and try to learn some skills that I'll actually be able to apply to racing further down the track um, the next point is to be rational um you know, you know, that's more probably on reflection. I had the aspects of the, the workout that went well, um, what I need to work on, um, and what led to that poor session as well. And, you know, when I was thinking through, I'd had a pretty tough week, I'd had a three hour run, I had, um, you know, quite a few reasonably hard sessions. So I was going into the workout fatigued. Again, they're all excuses, but when you're looking for answers as to why a session didn't necessarily go to plan, you know, doing a bit of reflection on the load you'd had earlier in the week um, might give you some expl- explanations rather than just saying, oh, it was a shit session. Um, actually try to figure out and adjust if you want to have a key session go well in the future. And for me, overall, um, things have been going really well for, for a good month or so. And just getting your ass kicked gets you a bit more grounded in knowing that you know, it's not all not all going to be easy, and uh, and so I look a good ass kicking from time to time. One thing I often talk to, and it depends on the personality, but there are people who catastrophize a couple of bad experiences, mm. and um, now some people listening to it will go, "No, I'm, I always see the bright side," or I've got a pretty good management of the emotions of a tough day. Uh, but some people do catastrophize, and especially once they've had two or three sessions. And one thing I often talk to people like that is, is it a trend? Or is it a moment? Hmm. And, and what we're saying here is, if you've had three weeks of sessions like that, then yeah. there's a trend we need to totally. address. You know, it, mm. it might be your sleep patterns, it might be nutrition, it might be the training is actually too far above your ability. You know, there's things we can assess to make sure that you're making good decisions. But if it's just a moment, like mm. you're saying, last three or four weeks you've been blitzing it, yeah, yeah, bad day. Mm. It's just a moment, mm. and it's really important because. These events are so important to us, you know, particularly someone who's a bit newer to the experience. Doing an Ironman is such a massive thing in your life. And it's, you have a day like John had on the weekend, and you can plant so many seeds about future worry, and you can build a story of this is going to be a bloody disaster, where actually maybe it was just a bad day. And the ability to just go, is it a trend or is it a moment? And if it's a moment, just to kind of see that, it, and, and there's still some learning in it. Mm. You know, like you could maybe reflect upon what I did that maybe maybe I didn't have enough nutrition or mm. there can still be learning in it. But even then, some days it isn't. Some days it's just a bad day. Mm. Um, but I just think to make sure you can really identify the difference between is it a trend or is it a moment? Now, if it's a trend, there's a bigger question of what needs to be addressed. It might be sleep, nutrition. It might be my program's actually too far above my ability, whatever. But if it's a moment, how do I just let it go and get back on track? And the same thing when you're racing. As we even said, lots of moments can occur. So, you know, you might be having a shocking bike ride. But if you can sort of um, just try to avoid the hemorrhage going out too much and you go, I might lose five or ten minutes on this bike ride but I'm probably going to make that up on the run. Yeah. Um, because at that moment, the, this word you were using, can snowball so easily into just this 
film I've had enough. Well, I remember a classic example was in my life. Years ago, I was doing the Christchurch Marathon. I think I went through 240. And um, and I I got hit with headwind. And it was kind of like, it's not going to happen. And I think I did 246. But if you'd asked me if 10K to go, if I was running as fast as I could, I was like, yeah, I could. I'm killing I'm fighting as hard as I can. And then suddenly I'm doing the race. And I looked at my watch and I thought, far out, I can't actually still do a 240. Mm. And then suddenly I found all the speed because mm. I thought I'd get the goal. And then I realized, oh no, I cocked up. <laughs> <laughs> but if you'd asked me before I looked at that watch, if I was giving everything I had, I would have said yes. And then when I cocked up, I thought, oh no, I could still achieve the goal. And I did find more. And that ability to redirect focus oh, and shush. manage focus in a race, mm. especially in, in an Ironman, which is such a long race, which is going to have so many moments that are going to challenge you. The ability to direct focus and put it in the right place is a skill in itself, which on a training day like the day you had is a really important skill to develop, isn't it? Well, I had a three-hour run last week and three hours as long as I run. And the first two and a quarter hours, I was like, oh my God, really? I'm going to get through this. Yeah. And it was all in the hills. And then the, we had the last 10K was on the flat. And I knew when I got to the last 10K, I was wanting to be running close to Ironman effort. And like, I was like, there's no way this is going to happen yeah. when I get down there. Got down there, go, right, let's give it a crack. Boom, you're into it. Yeah. And uh, and just that change in mindset, going, right, let's give this a crack. And all of a sudden, I was looking down the watch going, oh, this is actually all right. And there's actually some practical work to do around this. Like, um, I'm a big believer in practice the things before you experience the things. And so if you're thinking of mindset, it's like, when I experience tough moments, What's the strategy I'm going to go to? So preloading mindset, focus tools, you know, affirmations, all that type of things. Have that in place for when you hit those moments. It doesn't mean you're always going to kill those moments, but at least you can deal with them in the best way possible. Totally. And it's a massive part of your journey, isn't it? It is indeed. Okay, let's go into Blast from, from the Past. past. Did, you pull this, did you random this one? I did kind of random this one. I don't know what, his name just showed up somewhere when I was doing something the other day. Faris Al-Sultan. Um, he was a beast of an athlete and probably doesn't get as much credit as he deserved. He, he won kind of once, didn't he? He won kind of once. Um, but he had lots of top tens. He even had, um, he had quite a few. They got third, didn't he? Yeah, third he had mul- multiple co- Konas, uh, multiple um, podiums and Kona, multiple great performances. So um, and now this, the PTO doesn't have all stats up there. It only starts from 2003 and only really has some key races for him, but he finished second, uh, third in Kona in two, 20, 2004 and then he won the RI race in Kona in 2005 with an 8.14. Swam 49, rode a 4.25 and ran 254. Who did he beat that year? Um, that was another windy day, wasn't it? No, it was not a windy day. Oh. Um, I wish it was because then it would accelerate. Cameron us. Brown. Cameron Brown got second, so he won by five minutes. Pretty comfortable victory. And Peter Reid was third. Rudd Kabiki and Cameron Woodoff was uh, fifth. He then you know, didn't win Kona again, but he got a third the following year. Um, he won Ironman Malaysia. As Bevan said, he's had... Uh, Three, three years in a row, he got tenth in Hawaii, came back and then got a fifth in 2012. Uh, so that's a long time between drinks, you know. Yeah. First in 2005, and then seven years later, managed to get a fifth. Um, he won Lanzarote, got another tenth in Kona. Won Germany, um, and that was when Germany was a race to win. Mm, you know, it was basically Kona was the number one. Wrote in Germany was the the in the two big races, mm. and to win Germany at that time was a big thing. Uh, and he was just—he was a really good swimmer. Um, so he was always at or near the near the front in the swim. And then he was kind of just a good steady eddy on the rest of it. Um, you know, so in 
2012 when he finished in fifth. You know, he was 13th out of the swim, uh, fifth fastest bike ride and 14th fastest run. And just, jeez, um, a lot of Germans that year. They got Pete Jacobs won that year and the Germans got second, um, fourth, fifth, sixth. Um, that was the year Andreas Raylert uh, came back strong. But um, the, the, kind of, and the other thing about Faris is we got to deal with him quite a lot over the years. He was a really nice guy. Lovely guy. Yeah, really, had a lot of time for people. Mm. Um, like He was just a really, really nice guy. Also, the thing about Faris, which he in some ways may have hurt his career, may have not hurt his career. Like he, His thing was, I've won it. Mm. You'd often hear him say that, you know, like because there's so many guys in that generation who, you know, only a handful get to win Kona. Mm. And there's like, um, uh, who was Ray Lurt? Mm-hmm. You know, there's the a couple, you know, there's athletes through that period who arguably could have been legends but never mm. won Kona. And he won it quite early in his career. And then in some ways, I think he always had that to fall back on. I've won mm. it. Mm. You know, and, and and he'd often say that. Yeah. You know, he'd have to say, you know, I've won it. I've, you know, I don't have to. It's not that he wasn't trying to win it again, but in some ways it gave him an excuse. He cemented his place at least. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then he also went on and coached Patrick Langer and th- uh, I think he, oh, did he? through to 2019. So when he was winning his, his first kind of titles, he was, uh, took him to took him to those manners. I don't believe he's still coaching him. I'm not quite sure on that, um, but good on him. So absolute legend of the sport and a good blast from the past, Faris Al-Sultan. Okay, let's go to Winger of the Week. Okay, last week we'll go to, I'm going to pull up a number. I'm going to go a high number. As in way down the field, I'm going to go number... 31? No, 83. 83. Gavin Borg. Uh, did he... Did he yeah, did he three. Did he swim yep. At 13 hours and 13 minutes. One hour, 40 minutes swimming. Six hours, 59 minutes on the bike and four hours and 33. He's from Bathurst, Australia. Bathurst. They had the World Cross Country Champs there this year. Um, so 13 hours and 13 minutes from nine activities. Um yeah, for, for overseas non Kiwi and Aussie listeners, Bathurst they have the uh, like the biggest motorsport race. It'd be like the the Daytona of uh, yep. of sort of Australia and New Zealand. It's a big big off road race. Day. Um, Gavin looks like he likes a bit of mountain biking as well. So maybe yep. we can get him into the the exterior uh, races a little bit more. Pretty consistent trainer. Had a little break there in March, but uh, outside of that, he's typically cranking out some pretty solid weeks, pretty consistent, nice bit of periodization, sort of has an easier week every every so often to absorb the training he's been doing. Um, all in all, nice work. Well, Get he me. looks like he's just done a race. So I've gone onto his Instagram. We're taking stalking to the next level, John. <laughs> and he looks like he's just done some race. because He's got photos of some race he's done. Uh, Melbourne 70.3 this nice off, last year. Nice work. So there you go. So, so Gavin Borg, you are our winger of the week. week. Okay, Jombo, let's go to the quiz question. Now, I've got an, I've got an idea. Yeah. Or I think I've... Hamish Carter won the second year, I think. Won it in the second year? Yeah, didn't he? I, I know he's won it. Didn't he win the second or third year? And it, So he won Olympic gold 2004. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say it started in 2005. I mean, it might be before that because I know like Peter Reed and Tim DeBoom. I suppose that was kind of their era around about then as well. I'm going to go 1998. How do you find it out? Well, I presume there's a Wikipedia page, and I'm hoping um, okay, that that's going to that's going to have it. Let's have a look. Let's have a pause. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, 
It began on 1996. Oh, did I say that? No, you said like Hamish Carter, like no, 2000. No, no, no. Oh, I 2000. said 98. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, it began in 1996 on the Hawaiian, Hawaiian island of Maui as the, oh, it was called the Aquaterra. See, when did it And it was later renamed Xterra. When, when? Japanese automaker Nissan licensed the name from the Triathlon Series for their own... T- 1999 to 2014 sports utility vehicle and was a series sponsor from 98 to 2006. So it's from 98. Yeah, so I'm going to... haven't got a definitive answer there, but I'm going uh, 98. Started in 96, but called Xterra maybe from 98. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Uh, you, you, that's, that's, that's massaging the rules there, that is, but, <laughs> but I'll give it to you. I see. I thought. I thought when Hamish Carter had only been around for a couple of years. So did, when did he win it? Have you got the? Uh, no, I don't have the results. That um, results. Maybe I'll go results. Yeah. Res, um, but Hamish Carter started racing in nineteen about nineteen ninety, because I went to the national champs in ninety one, and and he won that and just annihilated everybody. Well, he started racing ninety one. Well, that's when he started annihilating people. Okay, let's have a look. World Championships. No, I don't think I'm going to be able to find it quickly. Yeah. but That's I, a feature for another day. We'll it was definitely after he won his gold medal. It was kind of in the mm. last part of his career. Mm. He's got to tune up and talk that out as well. But he's one of those annoying people that's good at everything. Yeah, he'd go for a round of golf against Hamish Carter who'd kick your ass. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, we did win Close to the Codes, didn't we? We did. We've talked about that a lot in the past. Yeah, <laughs> love Close to the Codes. Okay, what's John Swim set? Swim set this morning. There's nobody at the pool. We're in New Zealand and Commonwealth some Commonwealth Commonwealth countries. We have big Easter break. You have Friday yep. off and Monday. Most of the, a lot of other countries either have Friday or none at all. We have two days off. There was nobody at the pool this morning, so it was fantastic. Um, we started off with a thousand meters warm up, which was repeating 150 freestyle and 100 IM. I do like that warm up because the butterfly really gets the old arms and the heart rate uh, pumping. And then our main set is one I've probably discussed before was 40 times 50, and you do the first 16 um, as three steady, one fast, and we were doing them on a time interval that would give you about five seconds rest, Um, and then you'd do 12, where you're going two steady, one fast, and uh, then you add five seconds, so we did the first 16 on 50, and then we did the next 12 on 55 seconds, and then we did eight, where you're going one steady, one fast, and we were doing those on the minute, and then the last four, you're doing all fast and you're doing them on 65 seconds. So each little round, you're doing, it's kind of getting harder because you're getting less steady reps, but you're getting an extra five seconds uh, in total. So it's a set that's two kilometers long and gives you 800 meters of uh, quality quality swimming mixed in with some, some steady state work. Um, and then we did at the end, 100 easy and a 500 ascending. So starting hard, finishing easy and 3.6K. It's a good one. Good to, good to do a little bit of, Speed into the arms. Good old um, Rob Campbell actually sent through an email. He said a couple of things. He said, first of all, I'm a fan from Canada. I wanted to give you a correction to a piece of info that you gave in the most recent podcast in the Oceanside recap um, about the 2022 PTO US Open. It was not Tamara Jewett who was lapped out. It was Danielle, Danielle Lewis. Um, Tamara was almost lapped out by Taylor Nib, who was having a tremendous bike. He doesn't like... Honestly, she was lapped. I'm going to correct the correction. Oh, okay. She was definitely lapped on the run. On the run, yeah. Okay, there you go. What are you saying? And uh, and it was by um, Ashley Gentle. 
Okay. But they were running about the same speed. And that's why it was annoying. That's why I'm saying get her out of there because she was running about the same speed. She's an awesome athlete, but you lapped. So your history, you're out. Well, he doesn't say He says, I think triathletes such as Tamara and um, Daniela uh, are the reason that Pat Rule does not belong in a long course triathlon. <laughs> well, agree to disagree. On the bike, though, I'm assuming, no, I don't know in PTO races whether you do, if you get lapped out. In world triathlon, short course, you're, if you get lapped on the bike, you're out. On the run, doesn't matter, but on the bike, you're out. Okay, so he came back and he said, so I kind of said, I'll, I'll let people know on the show. Uh, but then he said, I was in Dallas as a spectator and a fan. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, I did not enjoy the race one little bit. I don't think the athletes enjoyed it much either. The lap out rule was just inappropriate in the context. It was, certainly wasn't a good spectator experience, especially being out in that boring bike course. If there had been any more than the smallest matter of spectators, it wouldn't have been enough shade in which to shelter and the heat was just radiating off the pavement there may have been a commentary in the grandstand area to keep things clear but out there it was absolutely no shade and hence no spectators I hope they do a better job in Milwaukee oh they, they, they will and it was just <clears throat> I think it was a good learning experience but what they're doing now and they have learned from that is they're going to establish races where you're going to have yeah. a ton of age groupers there yep. Milwaukee um, I assume they'll have it after the age group racing that isn't good enough reason to stick around. And likewise, when they go to the European Open, that'll be huge. And then in Singapore, it's already sold out. So I think uh, they've certainly learnt from that. Yeah. Uh, crowd matters. I know we've been talking a lot about Collins Cup, but I can't wait to hear the new format. Mm. Like, they can't be far away. Well, if there's a new format, there might not be. We're just speculating there might be a new format. I guarantee what you're going to say. There's got to be. <laughs> oh, so, well, yes. <laughs> um, but the fact they haven't announced it yet. Mm. Anyway, uh, let's talk about our patrons. John, where you go first? Uh, Larry, Lord Business Brichetto. We've got, we got lots of lords today. We've got Neil, Lord Flashheart Thompson. And Craig, the Time Lord McCarthy. I must have them sorted somehow. It's yeah, must alphabetical. Be alphabetical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this week, uh, if you want to become a patron, go to www.iamtalk.me. Go to the patron section and support the boys and what we do you'll get going to draw and win cool prizes support us basically just support us and getting the show out there if you want some coaching uh, coachjohnnewsome.com or his epic camps at epiccamp.com anything I do bevanjamesisles.com and age groupers of the week cool websites other feedback I am taught podcast at gmail.com what's your gosh John? Um, what's my gosh? had a sick wife over the weekend so um, I actually sat down yesterday with Thomas and we watched almost all of Perry Bay which is a big uh, cycling race, um, biggest and probably most prestigious one-day cycle race there is. Um, if you don't know anything about it, they bike from Pari to, to Robay, and at the end they do a lap and a half around this um, velodrome. But what makes it interesting is there's huge sections all the way through the race of Pave or, or cobbles that you ride over, and it's just absolute carnage. Is it really? Um, and, and that's what keeps you sort of engaged. So I wouldn't say I sat there for four or five hours um, glued to the TV. I had the laptop home and I was just sort of chugging away on just answering a few emails. But I was certainly watching it. Um, but I was trying to think, why, why does this keep me, what is, it, what is this doing to keep my attention? And it's that anything could happen at any time. Okay. You don't want to miss it because every time they go into Pave um, or Cobbles, <laughs> there's a high chance of getting a puncher. There's a high chance of getting a crash. And that Do they is, use different tyres? They, well, they do. They, they had some tyres this year, and I don't. I didn't actually do any research as to how they work, but the tyres, they were actually able to inflate and deflate them a little bit on oh, the really? fly um, because when you're going over the cobbles, you want them to be a little bit softer, yeah. and then when you're going on the, 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 the road, because I think it's 
I think it's 50, I could be wrong here, so feel free to pick me, pick me apart if I'm wrong, but I think it's about 55 k's of cobbles on in the race, and it's a 255 kilometer race, and um, and so that ability to turn on, the, the you know, change your, your tyre pressure is um, A, really comfortable, but um, probably a little bit more puncture resistance, but it's just carnage, there's broken wheels everywhere, there's crashes all the time, um, and so for the cyclists, it's just be very hard work, and the, sh- the shame with the race is, Two top athletes were coming into the finale, and it was just going to be mano mano. And then one of them got a puncher, and it's like, ah, oh, the other guy just rides away and wins. Uh, so it was a bit of an anti climax. It's but a bit like um, surf, surf sport, you know, like the Ironman, which is the surf stuff. Yes, if you catch a wave. Catch a wave. Yeah. You know? Mm. Like so that was, a, that was a shame that it turned out that way. So that was my um, Sunday, just sitting there watching that, which I've never, ever done before. So it was kind of cool. Bevan, anything happening for you? Do you know what Joe and I did on the weekend? John was, was you'd never think to do, mm-hmm. but it was actually really enjoyable. We did punting on the Avon. Oh, goodness. Have you done that? Um, well, I've been in Venice, been punting in Venice. That was not on the Avon in Christchurch. <laughs> yeah, but not on the Avon in Christchurch. Not quite the same appeal. It was actually really, like, basically Joe's mum had been given it for as a gift. And so, so got re-gifted. No, 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 we went <laughs> off her. So uh, Joe's niece lives in Christchurch now, so we had Joe's niece... Joe and I and her mum. And um, so we went along and you're basically just 40 minutes like they take up the river and back it. Like mm. it's, in some ways it's nothing special but the guy doing the commentary was actually mm. really interesting. So what's really interesting, so he's basically talking a lot about Hagley Park. There's a tree in Hagley Park mm. that basically in 1880, whatever it was, Queen Victoria had a birthday and she forgot or a wedding or something big happened and she was meant seeing gifts all around the world and she forgot. So mm. what she did is she went out into a garden and picked up these acorns and just sent them to different parts of the world. Mm. And I think our one's the only one that still survived. And this tree <laughs> is so important that we can't trim it without getting the king's permission or oh, without God. going to England. And once a year, someone from England comes out and inspects the tree. That's just, oh, stupid. <laughs> But what's really fascinating? I've got this thing called an iPhone or or any sort of phone no, Zoom John, call. Here's your tree, buddy. No. Okay, looks good. Thank you. No, they need someone to fly out all the way from England. That's a job you want. Um, but what was really interesting? Christchurch, so Central Park in in New York, mm. is the world's biggest Central Park, mm. and I think it's twice the size of Hackley Park. Mm. Hackley Park is the fourth biggest Central Park in the world, mm. which is pretty phenomenal considering we're a city of what half a million people. Yeah. So we've got this massive central park and it's awesome, isn't it? Mm, like right. Hagley Park is fantastic. Well, the reason it became Hagley Park was they created the Botanical Gardens and mm. the Royal Botanical Gardens got the name of the Royal Botanical Gardens. And within our Hagley Park, which is kind of half the size of the central park, we've got the Botanical Gardens, which is probably a quarter of the size of the park really, isn't mm. it? If that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just this nice garden area and it's you know quite beautiful to walk through and stuff. When they named the Royal Botanical Gardens, they named the whole area of Hagley Park the Royal Botanical Gardens. Mm-hmm. And it was an absolute mistake. Hagley Park was meant to be residential property. Right. And But because they named it the Royal Botanical Gardens, they couldn't change it. Oh, nice. So that's the reason we have Hagley Park. Okay. Yeah. Learn something every day. Yeah. So it was actually, I was actually, I really enjoyed it. I was in that neck of the woods at the weekend as well. We went to the museum. They had this thing called. Oh, did you, what do you think? It was, it was good. Basically, they, they've cleaned out a whole museum. Because it's getting redone up. And, and they've let graffiti artists go in there and do graffiti as well as really nice street art. And it, and it was good. It was yeah, it took us at least an hour and a half to get through it. It's taken them five years to do a museum. Yeah. Five years. Yeah. My God. Do you know what? Okay, more interesting facts. Do you know where they're storing all the archives? <laughs> no, but my kids asked me that. In the, the old warehouse in South City Mall. 
Oh, right. <laughs> this is Christchurch talk. Yeah. Did you, do you know another fact about Christchurch? Do you know there's an ark up in Clifton Hill? Oh, yeah. I never yeah, knew about this. Wedding, wedding venue. Oh, that's my nickname. Like Noah's Ark? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Have you that? You Christchurch facts. Yeah. There you go. Righty-ho. Okay, let's wrap things up. I'm Russ. I'm Minut. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Yeah.